this is the car dealer podcast driven by car gurus. You want the best return from your advertising budget and car gurus piston heads are focused on the same goal. With car gurus piston heads you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites who can turbocharge your digital forecourt. Connect with in-market high quality buyers today. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. For a limited time only, get 10% reduction off your new subscription when you tell them that we sent you. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you've never listened before, we do our roundup of the week's news a little differently. We've made it into a competition between myself and James Batchelor to choose the best stories, and we ask an industry guest to choose the winner. This week, we're joined by Kazana's Director of Insight, Rupert Pontin. Thank you for joining us again, Rupert. How has the week been for you? Hi, Becca. I'm really pleased to be back. Thanks for asking me. Um, it's been a really interesting week for me. Um, it's been very, very busy uh, and the market is doing uh, some quite different things. Uh, so there's been plenty to look at, plenty to talk about. And uh, yeah, it's been a good week. I, I definitely have been reading your weekly updates every mm. week, uh, Rupert, because unusually you do them weekly whereas most people they do them monthly and it has been it's been really interesting to see them because I think it was last week um so the, the you were saying that um uh, demand well sales were down weren't they but now yes. they're up again it's just this constantly fluctuating picture that Kazana is seeing and it's it makes for some fascinating reading really <laughs> yeah it, it does. And, and it's uh, it's really good to be able to work with data that, that moves so quickly. It's actually quite difficult to to sort of take the time to, to go through all the different data and actually write something that, that is sometimes quite lengthy. We, we may change the format of that slightly. Um, but you're right. The past um, uh, sort of six weeks or so have been really quite interesting. Uh, the, the last week, you're right, we've, saw, we've seen an upturn in sales. But prior to that, we'd seen a, a gentle decline week on week on week. Um, and that is uh, that's interesting after such a strong period. I think part of that was due to perhaps uh, a lack of stock, uh, a lack of availability of stock. But um, I think also we've seen a change in the uh, consumer's appetite, a slight change in the consumer's appetite. Uh, we are in holiday time. And uh, at this time of year, I would naturally expect there to be less people in the marketplace. But I think if you combine the two things together, then you see that the market has, uh, then, then you see and understand that the market has contracted a bit. What we saw this week was interesting, though, because we saw a, a greater number of vehicles coming to the used car market. And again, that had been on a decline. So uh, in the last week, I think I'm glancing to my notes on the left. Um, we, we'd seen, um, oh, I need to press a button to get the right ones. But uh, listings, if you look at the number of retail advert listings from uh, June to July, they were down 15%. If you look at what happened in the last week, we saw a big splurge upwards of over 40% increase in the number of new listings coming to the market. That's not the total number of cars in the market advertised for sale, just the number of new vehicles. Now, that could have happened because we may have seen more vehicles coming through refurb, through remarketing, because of greater staff availability of the change in the ping rate. If you remember the government changed that. Oh. Not a week goes by without us talking about the pandemic. And it's... I know. <laughs> <laughs> now that is really interesting. Is it because yeah. I hadn't thought of that actually? I hadn't thought of 
because the the pandemic has become less of a thing recently, hasn't it? Where yes. there's been changes to the app. Well, there, the changes to the app are coming, aren't they? But there's been a bit of a greater acceptance to 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 sort of what's going on. So very interesting. Yeah, it is. I think. Um, well, sorry, Becca. Well, no, I was just going to say we've talked quite a lot about the pandemic affecting cars actually leaving showrooms, but I don't think we've talked quite as much about things like valetas, um, actually, who I'm sure are affected in quite, quite big numbers um, and how that would affect the cars coming in. Well, that's a really good point. And as you know, I'm, I'm a director of the VR, a vice chair of the VRA, uh, Vehicle Remarketing Association. So through that organisation, um, we, we represent uh, a lot of the market, uh, a lot of the, that part of the industry. And they have had significant challenges over the past 18 months with working processes, uh, but particularly more recently with more pings coming through. It, it hasn't made life easy for them at all. And, and uh, that has been a significant Significant problem. So you know, the, the dealer might, um, uh, you know, he might have bought a vehicle, but because of restrictions and difficulty with staff availability and logistics, they just can't get that car delivered to them for them to be able to to do their final prep on it. And also, you know, cars that have been defleeted. Uh, and are awaiting preparation at, at auction centres and sites. Yes, the guys can be closer together these days, but you know, with with more pings, they, they just can't get the cars prepped. So it's it's been quite a thing, quite a thing for the for the industry. So we, I'm sure we could talk about all these things for ages, and I'm sure we're going yes. to get on to some of these. So I'm always wary of us talking about the stuff we're going to talk about later. So shall I explain how it's going to work, and then we can crack on with the quiz? Sure. Uh, so Batch and I have both chosen our top five stories of the week, and we're going to have a little chat about each of them. And at the end, Rupert has the final say on whose stories are best and who is the winner. If you want to play along, then please tweet at Car Dealer Mag with the stories you think we should have included. And if you enjoy what you hear today, then please let us know by giving us a five-star review. So I, I think I won last time. What do you mean? What do you mean? You, what do you mean? You think? You know full well that you won. Oh, I thought I, I knew you would remember though, Batch. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but you're still winning. But it does mean I get to go first. So Batch is leading three, two. Uh, but I did win last week. So I'm going to go with what has far and away been the biggest story of the week that we have not stopped talking about. And that is the fact that Robert Forrester was on Undercover Big Boss last night. Um, I don't, did you watch it, Rupert? I did watch it and I, I give him 10 out of 10 for, for doing this and going back to the floor. But uh, I'll let you talk some more before I, oh, before I just, come further. I won't talk to you much, but I just thought it was brilliant. Um, I actually didn't think I would enjoy it as much as I did. Yeah. Um, but I, I laughed. I couldn't look at some parts. I really wanted to skip it, but I knew I had to watch it properly for work. Yeah. And um, and by the end, I was crying. So yeah. full, full range oh, of emotions. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I give him 10 out of 10 for, for actually doing it. Um, let, let's be clear. He's never going to make a valeter, but he made a valeter very, very happy. <laughs> Very, very happy indeed. And I think I give him 10 out of 10 for going back to the floor and actually doing it. I think he probably learned an awful lot about his business that he, he didn't see. And I mean, that is no disrespect to him. But, you know, in his position, uh, you don't see what goes on behind the, behind the doors and, and, and actually uh, what, what happens on a day to day basis. So 10 out of 10 for Robert. I Can I, yes. <laughs> in, in fear of, of, you know, being the, the uh, devil's advocate here, I didn't think it was that good, actually. Um, and it's it's through no fault of Robert whatsoever. Um, I just think it's the format of the programme. Um, I, I don't think the disguise was very good. Um, I think it looked too much like him. Um, but secondly, 
I, th I suppose it's because we work in the industry. I just think there's so much to get into that hour, isn't there? Mm. And of course, you've got to take in all the commercial breaks as well. I just did. I didn't think enough was covered, and I. But I suppose for the for the general public, it probably gave them a good flavour of especially the challenges that the most trade has gone through in the past twelve months. But I think for people who live and breathe this, I just I thought it was a little bit um, shallow. I just didn't I, think it, it was in yeah, depth enough. No, I really. I definitely agree with you. Trying to get three stories as well into the hour. But the thing I thought was really disappointing was the fact that there were no, and obviously Rupert, um, sorry, not Rupert, Robert wouldn't, would have not chosen who was, who he would be talking to. Mm. But the fact that there were no women, I thought was really, yes. like, really telling of the way that the world sees the industry still, that ITV would choose three men. Yeah, well, I would agree with that. And I'd agree with what Batch says, you know, it, it, uh, it, there wasn't a great deal of detail, but I sort of took it to that you, you can't fit all that in. Um, but Becky, you're right, the, the, there was no female representation there. It but was definitely worth watching. And if, and if anybody's listening to this, <laughs> do go and watch it on ITV Hub or whatever, whatever it's called, ITV's <laughs> iPlayer or whatever, yeah. I don't know. But yeah. it's, it, is, it, is, it is worth, and it doesn't feel like an hour. It, you, it zips through, doesn't it? So it's yeah, definitely it worth watching. Mm. But anyway. Okay. Is that, is that, what's your... is that, that's a bit of a soft story to start off with, isn't it, really? Um, yes, but it's. Been, I mean, probably because we've covered it so much, I think we've written about three or four stories about it this week. But the the fact it was on uh, was the biggest story on the website. I did check before this as well. But yeah. People want to hear about it, but yeah, okay, all right. Um, well, I'm <laughs> going to let. Shall I start with my story? And it's yeah. We, we go from one big dealer group to another dealer group, really, and it's 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 Marshall Motor Group. Um, they came out with their half year results this week record profits um but um aside from that we also spoke to dash in depth and he came out with some really interesting things actually the first of which was um i, I sort of pushed him a little bit on this i prodded him so i shouldn't be surprised that he said it but he came out and said that he was surprised that new car prices haven't risen significantly yet and the, the reasons why he thinks that is because uh, car makers, you know, car makers have got to keep their factories rolling. They've got to keep these cars going through. So if you hike prices, of course, you're going to put buyers off those new cars. But we can't get away from the fact that, you know, there are material shortages and the materials that are left, you know, the prices of those do go up. So it's going to be interesting to see when or if, but probably when those those um, those prices are going to be pushed on to customers. So he said some interesting stuff there. Um, and also another thing which I just really wasn't aware of. I mean, Mark Lavery said the same thing to me the week before about semiconductors. I mean, I, I'd be interesting to know what you think about this, Rupert. I totally ignorantly, I suppose, I thought there were probably a handful of semiconductors in a car. Um, but Dash was saying in something like a Range Rover, which is, of course, packed with tech, really, there are about 1,200 to 1,500 in a Range Rover. And when you realise, you know, that's just, that's just Land Rover, which is just, you know, a, a smaller player in the premium market. If you think about Mercedes and BMW and Tesla, probably, um, it gives you a scale of how, how bad this actually is. Um, and apparently the automotive industry buys 67 billion chips a year. 80, 80, Apple buy 81 billion. 
So it gives you an idea of how bad all of this is. Um, and lastly, the, the last thing that Dash made, um, which is really interesting, sorry, I'm going on, I know, um, is just about stock shortages. Now, he was saying that Marshall Medical hadn't seen them yet, hence why their half-year results were so good, record profits for them. Those stock shortages haven't come through yet. And he said the main reason for that is um, manufacturers stockpiled cars um, in anticipation of no deal Brexit, which I hadn't actually considered. So that's quite We're interesting. About how, is that new, new stock? Shortage? So new cars, so a lot of manufacturers stockpiled cars at the back end of last year in anticipation of a no deal Brexit. And so we've been seeing the throughput of that throughout this half year and of course that's going to start to come to an end now and of course it's the second half of the year when everyone's really worried so don't know what you think about that Rupert I don't know if you found those things to be quite interesting well I did absolutely do and I think you're right um, or, or Dash is right it's not an if it is a when those price increases come uh, there are for me a couple of reasons behind that number one um, uh, you have a natural price increase as it is and, and prices haven't shifted up uh, hugely so far uh, there is uh, the, the the very real fact that they are a business and they're there to make money. This is an opportunity for them to improve profits and therefore the manufacturers have to make money. So they will improve, uh, sorry, they will increase pricing. When it comes to the semiconductor issue, this is, this is fascinating because you're right. Uh, I think there was an element of stored cars from Brexit, but I think those are probably washed through. I think there are certain OEMs that did a better job of planning and probably realised this was going to be an issue along with some other parts. And I think some of the Korean manufacturers, some of the Japanese manufacturers seem to have a better supply of those uh, semiconductors. Uh, and you, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I did know that there were that many in a car, but that's only because I've, I've, I've been around a long time and, and you know, had to deal with them um, when they go wrong in, in olden days. Um, but uh, no, it's, it, it is a really interesting position because we see from the Kazana data over the past um, uh, weeks, and you, you, you will probably remember it from my, my updates, that we haven't been seeing a huge tail off in the number of pre-registered cars that have been hitting the market. We hadn't been in the past few weeks we have. Now, where everybody was saying there's stock shortages, you can't get new cars, blah, 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 blah. That was quite a surprise to us because we were still seeing high levels of pre-registered cars on the market. We were still seeing them continue to be advertised. Now, it's not with every manufacturer. And I'm back to my comment about some of them having a better uh, supply of semiconductors, therefore better supply of vehicles. But uh, that is going to start to tail off, I think, as we go towards the end of the year. Dash is, is more in the know, perhaps, than, than I am. And he, he will clearly have uh, prepped for that. But yeah, real real problem, real problem. But there are some interesting nuances to, to this sort of headline that, that one, one sees. That's interesting. I'll just... It's so are there particular, can you tell us which brands you're seeing pre-registered cars from? I'm just interested in who's actually got good stock. I would love to be able to tell you that right now, but I haven't got that on my dashboard here. <laughs> I've got I more. think I tried to get you to do this last time. <laughs> you might well have done, actually. Yeah, um, I always uh, want to know who the pre-registered cars are from. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 can't, I can see it, but I can't see it from the dashboard that I've got live in front of me here, I'm afraid. Just talking about pre-reg. Sorry, just talking about pre-reg. Is it me or was pre-reg a really big thing five, 
you know, less than five years ago, and now we talk less about it, or is that just me talking less about it? <laughs> um, it's a good question. I think it's cyclical, and it goes with the market. Um, and you know, you you have periods when uh, there are few cars being pre-registered because they don't need to. And we have been in the past five years through a number of legis- legislative changes that have meant that there have been large volumes of cars that have needed to be registered, uh, and manufacturers have had problems not problems they built these cars they haven't sold them and you get to a crux point where you know the the, the changes in uh nedc and the, and the uh fuel legislation those have to be registered so all of a sudden you'll see a shared load of cars getting of getting registered um so i think it, it comes and goes depending on market circumstances okay all right i think is it you, your turn rebecca is that yeah sorry i was in a day thinking about how how many defenders i've seen but um it seems to be like defenders on 21 plates that's what i think i keep seeing them and thinking it surprises me that jaguar and drove are able to get so many new cars out but maybe it's just me where i am um i will which one should i go for next um let's go for the the returning crew this week um we obviously talk about them a lot we talk about lookers all the time uh but now their previous leaders andy bruce and Nigel McMinn are back. Andy Bruce as CEO once again and Nigel McMinn as Chief Operating Officer, I believe, um, and they've joined the board of the Fleet Alliance. Now, I can't remember, and I probably should have checked how long ago they actually left Lookers, um, but if you were on our website this week, you would have seen they did a great photo, which looked like they'd just joined a football team. Um, and I'm sure there's actually, well, I, I read some of Nigel's comments on LinkedIn, and there seems to be a lot of people very happy to see them back in the industry. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see what happens because obviously it's been quite a turbulent time and I'd love to know what you two think about the subject. Well, I'll let, I'll let Rupert say that. Not a lot. Because I'm going to try and, find, I'm going to try and find the date when they left Lookers. So that's I think oh, it wonderful. Was- yeah, I think it was about 18 months ago off the top of my head. Um, so quite a time period. I, I think the, I think those those guys are really uh, nice, true, honest gentlemen of the industry. That's that's how they come across, certainly in every dealing I've had with both of them. Um, they are passionate about this industry. They're passionate about change uh, and uh, they, they've been very successful at it. So I think it's it's very, really nice to see them come back. I was I was wondering where they were going to appear. Uh, and I got to the point to think, crikey, is, is, is they really on a sort of like a two-year garden leave piece off the back of Lookers, but maybe, maybe they were. Um, but it's really nice to see them back in the industry. So I, I wish them all the success there at Fleet Alliance. Yeah. It's nice no, to no. see them uh, working together, I think, as well. I, I agree, yeah. They're a great team. Um, I mean, if you, you've met them, you, you guys have met them before, you know that. I mean, there is a, a great uh, sort mm-hmm. of, um, there is a great relationship between them. Um, they seem to get on really, really well. So, yeah, I'm, re- I'm really pleased to see them back. Mm. November 2019 is when they left, and that was, you know, during the height of yeah. Lucas' problems, really, or when it really started to gain momentum. Yeah. But, mm. um, yeah, November 2019, doesn't time fly? Doesn't it certainly it? does, especially with the yeah. pandemic. It does, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, do you, Shall I go next? I'll go next. Um, yeah. So it was an interesting little uh, thing this week. It was the test drive from hell. So it was a second-hand car dealer has been hospitalised after he was held against his will in a test drive that ended in flames. Uh, The unnamed salesman was taking a potential customer out for a test drive in a 2009 Kia Borega, which gives you an idea this isn't the UK, it is the US. 
Um, when things quickly took a sinister turn, traveling at high speed, the driver locked the doors and refused to let the terrified dealer out of the car. Um, as they continued to bomb along the highway, the passenger called the emergency services to alert them to what was going on. However, as, as he was talking, the Kia smashed into the back of a lorry and went up in flames with the salesman still trapped inside. Now, he was, the emergency services arrived, he, the salesman was dragged from the burning wreckage. Um, we believe he's okay, but importantly, the, you know, the, 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 the driver was arrested, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's just an amazing thing, this really. Um, I, 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 I'm not going to be as bold to say this wouldn't happen in the UK because that would be wrong. But I, you don't hear of these things happening in the UK, thankfully. Um, but it, is, it does sort of bring it sort of all back, really, doesn't it? That test drives, of course, they are a key component in, in the buying process, but they, there is the potential for them to go wrong, isn't there? And um, you, you just assume that every customer who walks through the door is, is legitimate and trustworthy. But, you know, it is a stark reminder that, that, that dealing with the public is, is fraught with problems, isn't it? And luckily, these things don't happen all the time but there is the potential for them to happen. So I, I don't know whether you've ever heard of anything like this, Rupert, things that have gone, gone wrong. Yeah. But it, it is a bit of a reminder that we work in a bit of a, you know, a customer-facing industry is open to, to problems, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, and I have heard of it. Um, and because I'm old, I'll tell you a little story, uh, or a couple of anecdotes. Um, back in the 80s, I used to work for um, uh, Wadham Kenning down in Guildford in, in Surrey. And uh, I uh, had a couple of instances there as a salesman where um, I had scary experience. I had a chap turn up to drive a, a Rover 827 uh, Vitesse. And uh, we careered along the A3 at 130, 140 miles an hour, which I wasn't too keen on. But as a young salesman at the time, it was very difficult to say to uh, a 50-year-old adult, slow down, please. That was actually quite difficult to do. Um, I also had a maestro catch fire on me during a test drive. I wasn't being held in the car, but the maestro caught fire. Um, they all did that. <laughs> That's what I said. They all do this. Um, uh, I actually still sold them the car, which was pretty good. I felt very good about that. But no, these things do happen. And um, you know, the, the when you are a salesman certainly back back in the day you were given uh, education and training on how you should conduct a test drive um, and there are certain things you should and shouldn't do uh, when you're actually in the car and there are certain approaches in terms of um, mannerisms that, that you must use to try and avoid that kind of thing happening um, but uh, yeah it, it's a real thing does it bother every salesman no I don't think it does uh, it's a very small proportion of people that would do something like that but that that story did make me think oh crikey that that was a really bad one um and uh, i'm not sure what a Kia Borrega is but i'm going to look it up <laughs> it yeah, wasn't so an austin maestro put it that out. wasn't an austin maestro well i think it's interesting you say about the 827 there you know yeah. probably the, the honda v6 engine was probably yes. the most reliable bit of the car hence yes, why it we do 130 down the a3 so yeah absolutely um, the, the, brake, the brakes were shot on it but the the engine was fabulous <laughs> brilliant I think I think I think should we just end the competition there, Beth? I think I've won. Actually, that, story. that is a very good story. I not a story I have on my list, but it did just talking about bad customers. There was another story we had this week about um, uh, a customer who was pretending that he paid for stuff and that went in left with a car, having shown the dealer that he transferred the money, and uh, then they realised later that he hadn't actually transferred the money. 
and it does like very similar to that i think how do the customers get away with that in this day and age yeah i agree i i just i just think you know even though the motor trade is is sometimes you know carved out to be untrustworthy and you know terrible i think for most dealers, they are naturally trustworthy people and they just presume that the customer mm. is, is also a trustworthy person. And it just it's just a stark reminder that all everything that happens in the motor trade is is down to trust, isn't it? And um, sometimes mm. things go wrong and sometimes they go wrong in, in a bad way, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Um, shall I go with my next story? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, this one is more, I think, a question for you two about whether you think this is true or not. But we've run a couple of stories about this so far, about the MOT Super September. And I am a little sceptical as to whether this is actually a problem or not, or whether we're getting a lot of people telling us that people should book because it would be really good for them to get more MOT customers. Um, because I have looked and tried to book and not had any issue. Maybe that will all change from September 1st. but. Um, I mean, this whole the whole MOT deferral thing is quite a way back now, isn't it? What was it, six months? It would have been last September, am I right? Um, mm. So do you think this is actually a problem? This could be another Becca, stupid Becca question for the week, but <laughs> Rupert, what do you think? I don't think, it's, uh, I don't think it's a stupid question. I think it's a good question to ask, and I really should be able to give you some, uh, <clears throat> some better guidance on this. I've got four cars need MOTing in the next month or so. Um, I, I consistently have my uh, local garages who, who phone up and say, do you want to put your car in? Do you want to put your car in? So my sense is that it's not going to be a problem, but um, <clears throat> we do have the data somewhere, the, the, the DVLA data that, uh, that shows what's happened with MOTs over the past 18 months because we we did a piece uh, we wrote a piece of content on it re, uh, about uh, six weeks ago so um, I need to dig around a little bit more but my sense is telling me it, it it's a good news story for the for the garages to get uh, more people through the door um, that that's where I'm at at the moment well I, I know we've spoken to Stuart James a lot on this he's a great supporter of of, of car dealer and you know, he is he's very adamant that this is a problem and I, I have no reason to disbelieve him. But I, I do think that, um, you know, it, it, it does need the garage industry to constantly remind people to get their MOTs done. I, I don't think this is just a problem at the moment. I think it's a, it's, it's a general thing that not necessarily MOTs, but just reminding people that, that their cars need to be maintained. I, I just think that we, we are... You know, I know it's a stereotype I'm saying here, but I think there's a general feeling amongst most modern car owners that they, their cars don't need maintenance and they don't need to think about them. Um, you know, they, they, they take a car on a PCP and at three years they hand the car back and they don't need to be maintaining these cars. So um, I, I, I don't think, you know, I've got no reason to disbelieve um, Stuart James, but I, I I do wonder whether it actually is a is is a it's a part of a greater problem of, of mm. people not mm. sparing a thought for their car, really. Now that I'd agree with. Um, I, I think you're right, and I think mm. yeah. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Too. That's all right. Um, I think I've got a slight delay. So I, I agree with that. Uh, and I think that that's been exacerbated uh, because of the pandemic and people not using the car. They just assume, oh, I haven't used it, so it's absolutely fine. Actually, that's the time when you really do need to get it checked properly. And that was a thing with the dealers when they opened up last year. Uh, and we warned about it. You know, the guys hadn't done anything to those cars while they'd been sitting on the forecourt while everybody was in lockdown. All of a sudden, they could uh, transact online. You know, the big question was, make sure those cars have gone through a sa- another safety check. Um, before you deliver them, before you have somebody drive them, whatever else. So, yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah, I just I think it will um, get worse with electric cars as well because that's been one of the big messages for electric cars is they need less maintenance. They've got mm-hmm. less moving parts, but they will need some maintenance at some point. And yeah, I just think people will go. It's electric. I don't need to do anything to it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Although I think it could promote. You know, it's it really is sort of finger in the air kind of thing, isn't it? But it could it could actually do the opposite and promote more people to actually take their car to a garage because I think a lot of people are scared about electric cars, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. And they think, yeah. you know, I'm not going to carry out. You know, you know, I know people who carry out services on their own cars because it's oh, it's just changing an oil, you know, oil filter and an air filter mm-hmm. and all this kinds of. And I think with electric cars, people as soon as they open the bonnet, there's orange wires with with warning stickers saying "Do not touch." I think people are wow okay i need uh, an expert needs to uh, to uh, take care of this for me but of course that promotes another whole thing of the garage industry also there's this big problem moment where you know they need to be trained up on electric cars and where's all that training going to come from and is there going to be financial assistance and all this kind of stuff it is a, it's quite a fascinating issue when you look into it isn't it yeah totally agree with you totally agree Okay, right. Shall I move on to my next question? And I know Rupert's going to have something to say about this, so good. Um, it's about BCA, and they said that um, this week they well they came out and said that um, uh, values in July uh, were above nine thousand pounds for the second month in a row, a thousand pounds ahead of twenty twenty. So that obviously a BCA were charming with 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 cap HBI also said that values rose by about three percent in July. Um, but that's not the interesting thing. I, 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 you know, BCA came out the month before and said, look, actual fact, you know, values aren't as high as everybody is saying and were more stable than sensationalist headlines suggest. I've got these two words in my head um, since BCA came out and said it's sensationalist headlines um and uh you know i i don't know whether it's a bit of a dig at the media or whoever i don't know but i just thought it was an interesting turnaround on the one hand the month before bca was saying look it's not as sensational as everybody's saying and then in july they came out and said actually values are high they rose three percent um so let's sort of you know forget what we said the month before um i don't know whether that's true or not i don't know whether i'm making that up but i just think it was quite an interesting turnaround from bca there and i know rupert you're going to have something to say about that yeah when i get rid of this animal it's on me yes i will um yeah this is this is great so um it's from our perspective we have never seen huge week-on-week price increases And we got ourselves almost into um, a a hyper analysis mode for a period of time because we saw in the press that um, uh, cap, um, glass uh, and competitors were seeing immense rising in prices. And we weren't seeing that. 
we went through in a, a period of in-depth in analysis to see whether that was right or wrong. And what we discovered was that there were instances, yeah, sure, where there were some really big increases. And I think what happened was that the uh, the press picked up on uh, individual instances of you know small volumes of vehicles that made in a vast amount over their normal price in the wholesale environment now just because they do that in the wholesale environment doesn't mean to say they'll do that it, it, they can reflect that in the retail environment you know that huge increase what that is saying is crikey we haven't got stock on our forecourt we know we can sell that car we want a customer we want the opportunity to be able to do the fni part on that deal so they may not make any money on the car but they've got the car that they'll sell and they make money on the fni so uh, i think that that was the position that happened the kazana data was really clear in terms of how much the retail pricing was shifted uh, shifting uh, when we went from june to july we saw a six percent average uh, change in uh, retail price and that's pretty that's pretty that's that's a good jump in price Price. That took the average price to 14, just over 14,000 for a retail car. Now, when you come to what BCA has said, I think that they were kind of dampening down this sort of uh, hiatus of, of comment that, you know, pricing was going through the roof by saying, OK, it, 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 there are some real big movers. But generally speaking, guys, it, it isn't huge. And I think that's what they were saying uh, in their first piece. Now, this latest release, I think, is is entirely is entirely right. They've seen a three. Was it, did you say three percent? Three percent. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's fine as an overall for, for the car going through the auction at the moment. Three percent increase at the moment uh, is probably you know, fairly reasonable. So um, I absolutely understand both sides of what you've just said there, but I think um, th there's a bit of context there. I, I mean, if we look at, as I said, we saw 6% month on month. If we look at that in the last uh, week, we've seen a 1.8% increase. So the retail pricing is still shifting upwards. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that, that's how I see it. But it was it was fascinating to see BCA come out with that. And it, it made me chuckle. And to a degree, it made me breathe a sigh of relief because they agreed with what we've, we've been saying for weeks. No, I just I just think the whole thing is just fascinating because, you know, on the one hand, you've got, you know, companies coming out saying monthly saying massive increases, unprecedented. Um, and then you've got other people saying it's a little it's a little bit. Let's just calm down a little bit and then you've got on the other hand you've got dealers saying we can't get enough stock you know we're having to raise prices on a daily basis um and it's it's and i i always come back to this point of what does it mean for the customer and i i and i just think the customer largely speaking i, I know they're probably aware of used cars being hot at the moment but if they need a car and they or they've got their heart set on the car they're going to go out and buy it and i and i i you know it's not it's not changing demand at all is it so um, whilst we're talking about these massive price increases, or actually it's not as bad and it's not as fantastic as everybody thinks it is for the customer, they're still going out and buying, aren't they? So yeah, they are. Yeah. I wouldn't say I was gonna say I felt bad for BCA, and I don't think that's necessarily true because they're obviously doing very well out of it. But I do think um they are probably taking well, they are definitely taking quite a lot of abuse for the prices that cars are selling for. And I can, they can't do anything about that, can they? They can't no. make cars go cheaper and why would they want to? Um, no. But I can see why they maybe wanted to say, oh, it's not quite as um, as bad as everyone makes out because I'm yeah. sure they're getting, well, I know on the groups, they're getting so much abuse about prices that things are selling for. And it's a business at the end of the day, isn't it? And what more could they possibly want? 
It is. And they're acting on behalf of their vendor who is selling vehicles. And it is their job um, to, to make as much money as they can for their vendor. That That is their job. But it is not their fault. You know, they're not doing anything uh, strange or odd and pushing prices up. That's market demand. They are facilitating a market demand. And um, I, I get that the dealers don't like to pay more money. I get that on some vehicles they're going to have a reduced margin. Hell, we can see all that through the dealer groups we work with and the stocking pro- products we have. But it's not BCA's fault. BCA are just doing a really good job, uh, as are the other auction companies. We'll be right back. The Car Dealer Podcast is driven by Cargurus. You want the best return from your advertising budgets, and Cargurus Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites who can turbocharge your digital forecourt. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. For a limited time only, you can get 10% reduction on your new subscription when you tell them that we sent you. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk. Now, let's get back to the quiz. Mm. I, my next story is, well, it's about used cars as well, so shall I go on to that? Mm. Yeah. Yes. So, um, th- I mean, this was some data from um, eBay Motors Group this week. Um, and they said about uh, used car prices have gone up 3% as well. But uh, what I thought was interesting, they were talking about SUVs um, doing really well at the moment. And I'd love to know what you're seeing, Rupert. Is there anything in particular that um, Kazana's noticed is selling really well? Um, SUVs tend to be uh, pretty good around this time of year, like MPVs used to be, but there are less MPVs around these days. Uh, and that's a, that's kind of a family thing because uh, people are thinking of holiday, blah, blah, and that's a good size uh, vehicle for them to go uh, on holiday with. Um, we, we do see there's some really good demand for battery electric vehicles. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm being more generic on fuel type here by saying battery electric vehicles. But if you look at the data that we had uh, for the uh, sales data, they um, uh, last month, uh, there was more, uh, there was actually an increase in sales, I think, on, on battery electric vehicles, whereas the rest of the market, we saw a slight decline. Um, we also see uh, more small cars. Um, small cars are also very, very popular. Uh, and by that, I'm talking, you, you sort of Fiesta, you sort of course of that type of size uh, vehicle. Um, and I, I think the, I, I don't know exactly what's driving that, but, you know, there'll be perhaps a cost element because they're cheaper cars, but there is also, there's still this, this reticence for people to uh, commute on public transport. Um, uh, and I think that, that that still is pushing some demand uh, for, for small cars. It's interesting yeah. what you say about uh, battery electric vehicles and it, this is such a random selection but i i remember probably like a year ago talking about well probably more than that actually talking about how i3s were such a good deal and i was talking to a dealer the other day and, I was, and they mentioned they had a really nice one in stock and i was like oh how much is that my mum's looking for a car as usual and um and they said it was twenty three thousand pounds and i was like I thought they were like around 13, 15 still. I was like absolutely <laughs> amazed that used i3s are so expensive. Anyway, sorry. About well, I, I've got... You there. It's all right. No, I've got, I've got the same story, but I, I've picked out something else from it, really, which, um, f- I mean, that list is made up of SUVs and it's the usual things you'd expect. Skoda Yeti, Volvo XC40 and so on. But in fourth equal... <laughs> I'm laughing because it really tickles me. In fourth place is the Nissan Pulsar, which if people aren't aware of what that was, it was that absolutely God awful hatchback that they brought out. I think it was like 2015 they brought it out. 
Um, you know, famously Nissan left the, the hatchback segment, didn't they? Because the Almera was, again, another dreadful car. And of course, they got rid of the Almera and the Primera and, and created the Qashqai. And then they did this amazing about turn in 2015 and said, actually, we're going to return to the hatchback segment. And they created something as dull as ditch water as the Pulsar. And I can say that because I remember being on the original press launch of that car. And normally on the press launch, you know, you know this, Becca, you know, you go on a lovely country route, don't you? Probably down by the coast, up in the mountains, <laughs> lovely route, nice bit of lunch, etc. Come back on the plane, lovely time, five-star car, obviously. The Nissan Pulsar, we picked it up from the airport, drove <laughs> along the motorway two miles to the hotel, stayed there for the night, and the next morning drove two miles back along the motorway to the airport. And it was just, it was obvious that Nissan were embarrassed by this car. And yet, and yet, it's in fourth place. And it's probably the reasons for that are exactly what Rupert just said. It's because people want a cheap car. They don't want to use public transport. But I just found that amazing that, that this car was just, you know, a, a rare moment of Nissan in recent times dropping a bit of a, you know, not being in tune with the market. And they created this awful car. And yet it's uh, obviously being popular in the used car market at the moment. So I no, think, I do, it's I, sorry, Ben. Oh, sorry, Rupert. No, you go. Okay. I, I think it's fair to say that she might have um, not be getting any Nissan launch invites for the moment uh, after that. But no, seriously, um, that, that car may not be the most dazzling of cars, but let's remember what a Nissan really good at. They're good at reliability yeah. um, and they're good at running costs. And that's what that car is all about. It, it, you know, there, there are lots of people out there that drive vehicles that aren't particularly stunning in, in every aspect, but um, that that car is cheap to run. That car is reliable, hence it, it's 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 quite quite a way up. But I, fourth place, um, I am a bit surprised about, but um, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's a good family car. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I remember it being pitched as um, like for the grandparents where you had an oats when you had small grandchildren, and then your grandchildren got bigger, so you needed to buy Pulsar so you could fit them in the back. Yeah, like yeah, and you are absolutely right, Rupert. And I was I was being deliberately sort of contentious there. Yes, like, I do. Deliberately threw a grenade in there. But you're <laughs> absolutely right. It is, you know, and uh, you know, at times of especially over the past twelve months, people. You know, if they desperately need a used car, they're going to turn to something that is reliable and they can depend upon. And there probably isn't, you know, many hatchbacks, uh, family hatchbacks that are as dependable and as solid as the Nissan Pulsar. It's just, mm. it's just, you know, uh, idiots like myself, emoting journalists who are way too opinionated, who uh, pour scorn on people who buy boring cars. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Well, is it your go now? Um, yes. Well, I, I, yes. So I did have the same story, but I, I shall move things on to my final story, which is uh, we've reported upon it today. It is the mini strip. Uh, I shall I, I quickly move on because that sounds a bit that does sound a bit weird. It's a bit racy. Mini strip, but it's the mini strip. <laughs> it's uh, go and see it on the website because again, this is a story that doesn't really work too well on radio. But go and see it on the website. It's a mini that's been stripped back by top fashion designer Paul Smith. Um, the car's body is unfinished with uh, the only paint being a thin anti-corrosion film. There are even grinding marks on the steel panels. Um, and Paul Smith has labeled this as 
perfect imperfection, he says. Um, okay. Elsewhere, there is recycled perspex for the panoramic roof and for the grill and the trim and the wheel covers. And inside, the touchscreen has been removed completely and there's just a smartphone holder, which I think looks absolutely fantastic, actually. Um, and it looks a little bit more like the original Mini's interior as opposed to the current car's you know, slightly fussy interior. And the seats are recyclable and there's lots of cork used on the surfaces. Um, it's really nice to see because you'll probably remember this, uh, Rupert, you know, back in the 90s, there was that Paul Smith special edition that was of the original Mini Purple. And it was just, it was, it was, it was nice, but it was, it wasn't, you know, fantastic. Mm. This is, is really quite a meaningful statement of sustainability and what, you know, a designer can really do. But I think more importantly, I think it actually shows where BMW is going to be taking the Mini the next stage of Mini, really. I think they're going to be taking it more back to basics, possibly move it away from the current Mini design themes, which, let's face it, you know, the Mini is now 20 years old. And, you know, what looked great in 2001, you know, possibly some people could say the Mini's current incarnation, you know, it's probably time hasn't been fantastic to it, really. And I think the current car has lost its way a little bit in terms of originality and you know progressiveness so i think this paul smith car could be you know a bit of a portent of of, of what may be coming next from bmw so yeah it's interesting on a number of levels and i do urge people to go and have a look at it because i think it looks brilliant so um rather like me in the last 20 years the mini has um put on a little pound a little bit of girth and it has become a larger car uh, and you're right it has different appearance to that to what that cutting edge vehicle was uh, when it came into the marketplace um 20 years ago uh, I, i've just looked it up which is why i was looking to the left so i apologize to, for that but looking at that 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 really is quite a statement i it, it's not quite me but that's uh, i can see a huge appeal for that car I really can. It's really different. I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't rush to buy one myself, but I, I know a lot of people that would. So I think it's a very bold statement. And you're right about the original Paul Smith. It, it, it wasn't quite there, but this does look the piece. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it must have been. You know, it, it, it occasionally these cars come along, don't they? And the new Mini was one of them, where it just hit the market. And it's just it. The market must have been mad for them in two thousand and one. Mm. I mean, the used market. I must. It must have been. I bet people had difficulty getting hold of them. So yeah. I mean, occasionally these cars come along, don't they? They, yeah, they just do. change everything. Mm. That that is depending on how many of those they make. That's the sort of car that we would look at and we would uh, see um, a future value on that being extremely high for a short period. It will appreciate in value. Um, but the algorithms that we use when they do forecasting on that and long, long term forecasting, like 10, 15 years, that's just going to go through the roof. Mm. Yeah. So that's my last story. I do urge people to go and have a look at it because it is it's a, quite, a, quite a special thing. My, um, my last story is on a sort of similar vein, because obviously it's been Monterey Car Week this week. I don't know, was that unveiled there as well? don't think so. Or is that a separate thing? Yeah. No. Um, but we've seen a couple of interesting cars. There's the Audi Sky Sphere, which if you haven't had a look at that yet, you should go over and um, go and see. It's one that can change from being a long wheelbase to a short wheelbase, but generally actually looks really cool and looks quite different from um, Audis we've seen in recent years. That's their 
not something they're going to make it's a concept car but um signals what's going to be the future for audi but the one that i was really excited about and i can't decide whether it's a good thing i'm excited about it or not but it's the fact that lamborghini have got a new Countach, um which i think looks fantastic because it looks very similar to the old one you're going to say no it's terrible um, <laughs> i just think it's a real I just, I just think it's a real disappointment it just looks like an event store with a with a with a slightly different front i think they could have done so much with that and you know when the uh, sort of it leaked the announcement earlier this week there was so much good feeling towards our oh, lamborghini are bringing the Countach back because lamborghini doesn't really do these kinds of heritage cars oh. they're always you know the next the next model is always forward looking isn't it and i it came i know the the it was leaked yesterday and slightly grainy images but i I just think it is a bit of a disappointment and I think they could have done a lot more really, but luckily it's only a special edition, isn't it? It's not um, a, a model they're going to be producing in, in large numbers, but yeah, no. I was a bit disappointed about it to be honest with you, but. Um, oh, I just, I just think it's exciting that they've done one. Um, I think it's a name that's, it's a shame that it's sort of in the history books, but yeah, my absolute favourite Lamborghini, that one, not the new one. I like how that looks. That, 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 for me, that works a lot. I need one. <laughs> I think they've got a little bit too, like you say, they're very futuristic um, Lamborghinis. I'm not really a fan of the new one, so I just think, yeah, I quite like the square front front end again and yeah. all that, that retro good. look. I, I agree with you about the Audi, Audi Skysphere. That that really, I found that really interesting. And yes, I know it's just a prototype, but you're right. It, it, these things, particularly with Audi, uh, they do tend to come quite true. Um, so uh, I, I didn't, I couldn't work out whether it was, and I, and I only glanced briefly at it yesterday, that, um, and it was your article, I believe, um, so, which is good. Uh, does it actually elongate, or is it the interior that shifts to allow a greater space? Because I, 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 I couldn't fathom out how they'd managed to kind of elongate the whole, the whole uh, car. No, I couldn't work out if they can actually do that or not as well, or if it's just a theoretical thing. Back to yeah, you and tell me you actually know this. I don't. I don't know, but I would guess no. it's theoretical, really. Yeah. I mean, from yeah. what I read, it was it was the 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 way the interior changed. So it, in its GT form, yeah. it is it is self driving. So they remove the pedals and the dash. They kind of they disappear. So you've got greater space around you, and it becomes rather than a sporty G, a, a sports car, it becomes a Grand Tourer. I just remember this isn't new, this kind of thing, though, is it? It's always been reserved for concept cars. I mean, there were a whole load of co Renault mm. concepts in the 90s that did this. They changed for different environments, didn't they? And they had like a lounge-like interior. Toyota were big on it in the early 2000s as well. And it's always been reserved for concept cars. And I think it's one of those things that is just, unless cars become completely autonomous, you just it just can't be done, can it? Mm. Um, but it's always an interesting... It's always good to see these concepts and to see what you know, what that particular manufacturer, um, what's been sort of the ideas have been flowing around the design studio. But you know they always they're always quite similar at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It is nice. I, 
I think the one thing that's come out of today's podcast is that I'm never going to be getting a press invite from Nissan um, and also Lamborghini. So, um, it's been think... a very, it's been a fantastic podcast, but it could be career ending. <laughs> I don't think it will be career ending. And you were right. You were, you, you were tongue in cheek over the Nissan thing. And, and uh, it, it, but that car, you know, it may not be the, the absolute dazzler to look at, but uh, it, it made its place in the market, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Rupert, do you think we missed any stories this week? And uh, what else did I have here? Um, so there were a couple of things. Firstly, and it might have fitted into it might have been last week, but I'd seen more cover, coverage of it this week um, for uh, for me for the for almost the first time. And that, that's about the speed restrictors being fitted to cars from 2022, which I think slipped under a lot of people's radars. Um, and uh, I, I don't like the idea of buying a new car after 2022 and finding that I can't go at the speed that I wish to. So it looks like my X5 M50D is going to stay with me forever um, because I don't want somebody telling me how fast I can go. Rupert, you're still scarred from that 827 test driver on the A3, aren't you? <laughs> I am. I want the control, though. I want to be able to do what I want to do. So uh, I don't I don't know whether that was a last week thing or not, but um, it. it yeah, um, uh, that's a thing for me, being told, having my car telling me how fast I'm going to go. But hey. I think you do make an interesting point because I think uh, there'll be plenty of people. I think mm. people, that, you know, they fall into two camps with this, don't they? A lot of people say, well, I, my car doesn't need to go faster than 70 miles an hour. So I haven't got a problem with that. And then you've got other people like yeah. you, Rupert, and like yeah. me, and probably like Becca, who was like, no, I want my car to be able to you know, safely go above 70 miles an hour. If I want to take it abroad, you know, are the speed limits higher? I want to have speed to get myself out of dangerous situations. And um, it's going to be a very interesting conversation dealers are going to be having with customers, isn't it? And they're going to be fielding these, 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 you know, how, how do you wrap that up as a salesperson? How do you wrap that up as this is a good thing? Just yeah. to a customer who is really dead set against it so mm. it's it is going to be interesting all of yeah. this um so yeah i think you make a good point yeah i could talk about that for, for a lot longer um i had two other things um one of them was a oh that's interesting and that was a report from i think ernst and young where they released that um four in ten people according to their research would happily buy in pure evs their next vehicle so that's good to see that figure coming up. And I was like, oh, right, somebody's done some good research on it. So Ernst Young, yeah, that's good. Um, so that was my sort of nice thing. The other thing was uh, where we were talking earlier about this uh, lack of uh, products and semiconductors. Uh, the headline this week, I can't remember who it was with, it said biggest shipment ever of MG cars to enter the UK. And they have, they brought 2750 into the UK, um, which kind of sort of puts two fingers up to everybody else because yes, they're a small brand, but hey, that's a large number of vehicles. Those cars are actually very, very good. I, 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 I at uh, a recent event drove uh, a number of their vehicles, particularly the EVs and, you know, for the money, what a cracking car but they're going to sell those quite quickly yeah it, go, it goes back to your earlier point doesn't it there are some manufacturers who have been really caught out by the semiconductor issue and then other car makers particularly in the far east are um don't seem to be suffering from it quite yet i mean we had we had mazda uh, peter alibon mazda's uk mm. sales director i spoke to him about a month or so ago and he said look we haven't really got many problems in terms of supply yeah. so it's interesting the manufacturers who have been hit hard by this or were going to be hit but hard by it and the other manufacturers who have put contingency plans into place so mm. yeah i saw that mg story and it was it, it raised my eyebrows as well yeah yeah 
So I think that's that's everything else um, that I so, needed. Very good. Um, so more importantly, who do you think has won this week? Well, I was kind of hoping that my doorbell would ring whilst we were on this call because I was expecting a bottle of whiskey or something like that from one of you, but I'm going to have to just go <laughs> the, uh, with the proper stuff. So um, this is difficult um, because you both have some really good stories here. Um, if we're talking about which one had the, oh my God, that's crazy, then I'm afraid, James, your test drive one has got to take that. But, 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 oh. actually, better... <laughs> talking about Robert Forrester and and all the things that that highlighted and uh, brought to uh, the attention of the, of the public I suppose um I'm, I'm I'm in two minds here am I allowed to call a draw no oh. <laughs> <laughs> just like that no right um well people uh, always ask do they? okay I should watch more often then um so I'm gonna go with um the sensationalist headline there of the mini uh, sorry of the of the driver of the key of Borrega crashing into the back of the lorry with flames so um you've both done an excellent job and Becca I'm really sorry that's twice I've not given you the win um <laughs> please have me back <laughs> oh we definitely will Rupert no it makes my life easier if Batch wins because he doesn't get in a massive grump for the rest of the day <laughs> I can't imagine him doing that it was, it's, it's the right decision. We all know it. So thank you. Thank you, Rupert. Thank you. Brilliant. Uh, thank you so much, Rupert. It's always wonderful to have you on. Thank you for all thank those uh, wonderful insights into what's going on in the world as well. Yeah. Thank you, Batch. Congratulations on all that. Thank you. Uh, thank you. If you have listened today, if you want to find out more about any of the stories we've mentioned, you can click on the links in the show notes or head over to cardealermagazine.co.uk and click on the podcast section. Thanks again. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>